Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. I want to talk to Amy Brown. And Amy, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you feeling today? Oh, I'm not great, to be honest. Today, the symptoms are fairly kind of troublesome today, but I'm just going to do my best to get through this now without getting sick. You're grand. Tell our listeners what's, what's wrong with you. I have a condition called endometriosis and it's a systemic inflammatory condition. And so it causes debilitating pain. It can cause infertility. It can cause a whole wide range of symptoms. And like that, I never know how I'm going to be from one day to the next. It's quite variant. When did it start? Um, It started when I was eight years old. I had three hospitalizations between eight and 11 and I didn't get my first period until I was 11. So I'm quite unusual in the fact that I presented prior to the first periods. And have you had pain since you were eight years of age? Yeah. Yeah. So the symptoms since then would have been like fainting. It would have been pelvic pain. It would have been like severe vomiting. I still to this day, I'm very, very nauseous. It's like I've had years of morning sickness. And what has it done to you besides physically? What about your mental health? How how does that put a strain on it? Oh, my mental health was in the bin for many, many, many years because you're constantly trying to seek support and to, to seek help, I suppose, to manage a life of pain. And you're kind of constantly being met with, oh, well, maybe it's all in your head or maybe it's not really that bad. And maybe you're wearing your depression. <laughs> Some women are told that, that it's a physical manifestation of their mental health. So it, it's, it's horrendous. Like. And... Are you married now at this stage or what is your situation? No, I'm single. I'm okay. single. Do you want to have children? Yeah, I do. Yeah, of course. One day. I don't want to. I have another condition called adenomyosis and the only cure for that one is hysterectomy. And I was in Romania three years ago for a surgery for endometriosis. And that's when they diagnosed me with adeno. And I was grateful that I could take another step prior to having a hysterectomy to alleviate the pain for this because I do want to have my own kids one day. I want to be able to try at least. So really a a double whammy for you really, isn't it? 
It is, and like it's it's very difficult in terms of I suppose your self worth. We place a lot of emphasis on on the reproductive system mm-hmm. and you know women do feel quite inadequate when when it turns out they do have issues and they can't so I suppose my main focus is to to build my self-esteem and to let myself know that if it's a case that it doesn't happen it doesn't make me less of a person of course not of course not and are you in a relationship no and I haven't been for a couple of years I'm far too busy with my activism and advocacy and college and caring for my parents and working I've I haven't got very much time, to be honest, to put into that. And what is the level of support for people with your condition? Well, the women I've spoken to would say it's non-existent, to be honest, because like, there's no mental health support. <clears throat> there's, I think, a minimum of at least two to three years waiting lists to see Gyne, like it's there's no there's no emphasis on supporting us and there's no prioritizing, you know, the quality of life or the like the amount of women that I've spoken to who've tried to access disability allowance and have been turned down every single time. And I, I personally don't understand that when it is a chronic condition, it affects every single aspect of a person's life. And I honestly don't know how mothers do it. People who already have kids mm-hmm. who are in that debilitating pain 24-7, I don't know how they're able to be a mother and not have adequate financial or mental health or physical health supports. How many women roughly are suffering from or have the condition endometriosis in Ireland? In Ireland, the statistic is one in 10. In the America, I think it's, more, it's become one in nine. Mm-hmm. So I do think it's going to get... Um, more as we do more research there's not enough research available at the moment you see and if the research was done do you think that the um, those in power will say our officials would pay more attention to it well to be fair they, they've been saying they're paying attention to it and throwing money at it and stuff and claiming that they have a new centre of excellence but they're claiming they have a multidisciplinary centre but it's not a multidisciplinary surgical centre so if if your if your disease presents on more than one organ, you need a multidisciplinary team to surgically effectively remove that disease from every organ. And we don't have that here. That's why I'm going to Romania again. I'll be there in two weeks for another surgery to remove it from my diaphragm because I have nobody in Ireland to remove it from the diaphragm. So we need the focus for government officials needs to be on educating kids in schools, especially young girls and also like emphasising the speciality training needed for endometriosis. The condition has been so painful and so um, the effects it's having on you that you turned to somebody and you know cannabis you started talking about cannabis. Actually, it happened in the reverse. I I was using cannabis before I knew it was actually medically impacting me, like in a in a positive way. I just assumed everybody felt better when they consumed cannabis. So, were you and smoking it, cannabis, not thinking that this was going to improve your condition? Were you just? Can I ask you? Were you just a a cannabis smoker? A rec- yeah, a recreational user. I would have considered myself. I had no idea the medical benefits it was having. I was was unaware of that until my mid-twenties and that's when I started making the connection. So, like that, I just assumed and everybody felt better when they consumed cannabis. I had no idea the specific 
Okay, and when did you, what age were you when you started taking, uh, when you started smoking cannabis? I was 15. 15. And how soon after that did you notice an improvement in your condition? I I suppose it wasn't the condition that I noticed it in as such. It was my everyday general well-being. And then it was my, as I said, into my mid-20s. Sure, I didn't even get diagnosed with my condition until I was 21. So I was unaware that I had something going mm-hmm. on even in me. Even though I was in pain and stuff, I was told this is normal. I had normalised that, that pain, that heavy p- periods and stuff. And like I said, then it was my mid-20s when I had the diagnosis and I started looking into research. That's when I stumbled across the endocannabinoid system and how every person has one and how different strains of the cannabis plant interacts with different endocannabinoid systems and alleviates symptoms in different ways for different people. And that's when the door opened for me in terms of like proper medical research that I looked into. Then I realised there was women all over the world getting prescribed mm-hmm. cannabis for endometriosis and yet I was being criminalised in Ireland. But today, you appear to be the first person in Ireland to receive a ministerial licence for cannabis. It's an actual, it's being prescribed. I mean, are you going down out to your local pharmacy to say, uh, give me a 10 spot of cannabis? And I say that, I don't mean <laughs> to be flippant on it, but you know yourself. Are you going to the chemist no. and saying, I, I, want, uh, I want some draws? As well? No, 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 no. It's far from that. I wish it was that easy, to be honest. I wish it was this, a social club setting that I could go into. But no, the the thing is, so my my pain consultant had to apply for a ministerial license to prescribe cannabis to me. So he had to do that via the Minister for Health. Once they sign off on the application, he gets the license, he writes out the prescription, he sends it to me. I upload the prescription to the Transvaal Pharmacy in the Netherlands. They process it on their end, send me the invoice. Once I clear the invoice, they're happy to release the product. And then the government sends somebody to collect it from the Netherlands, bring it back to Ireland and deliver it to my hall door. So they they can't actually post it in a parcel to uh, Amy Brown in Tipperary? Well, they are. They're posting it, but via a DPD driver or DHL driver. And... The, the quantity of cannabis you're smoking every week. I mean, give us an example. Well, I can only afford, I suppose, 100 euros a week. So that gets me only seven grams on the unregulated market. But then I suppose I have the flour, but then I also use THC capsules. I use vapes and I use edibles because it depends on the symptoms that arise on the day. Sometimes the, the hit of the vape or the joint is just not effective enough and I do need an edible. Amy, and this might sound strange, but are you becoming hooked on cannabis? I mean, um, are, are you going, and some people say she's going her own stone out of her head. Well, it's been 15 years now at this stage and nobody has had any issues with my my work life, my education. You know, like there's even studies out there to support that cannabis helps with psychosocial development. Do you know, and some people may say I have a dependency on it, and mm. I do, because if I don't consume it, I'm going to be in debilitating chronic pain. So would you say that to somebody with paracetamol? No, I, I, and I was just going to say that. I mean? mean, so if somebody is on antidepressants or paracetamol or they're on such and such a, a, a drug for a condition, you're just the same as them. You just need this. Absolutely. And let me tell you, when I was on the likes of amitriptyline and all those other kind of awful drugs, particularly the opioids as well, I was a zombie. I wasn't present in my life. I wasn't able to show up for my parents who I look after. Mm-hmm. Like I, I was completely isolated from, from reality when I was on all those horrible medications. So at least now I'm present. And like that, it's been 15 years and 
I'm fine. <laughs> the world is not falling in around me. Like, you know, it's, it's been my only consistency, especially through the dark kind of depressions. When I have been very suicidal, cannabis has been the only thing that really got me through. And would you be afraid in any way that um, cannabis might be a gateway drug for something else for you? That the, the, it mightn't be strong <laughs> enough after a while and that you might start looking for an ecstasy tablet or a line of coke? Like I said, it's been 15 years and if I haven't yet, I, I, like, I, I don't like this gateway theory. I feel like everybody has free agency and I know people who started out on ecstasy who has never had a cannabis in their mm-hmm. life. Do you know, so there, that gateway theory to me personally is nonsense because I'm living proof that that cannot, it can be the case and it cannot be the case. So mm-hmm. I don't think we should apply that theory to everyone. What's your message now to the policy makers, the Minister for Health, in relation to other women with your condition? I mean, is it licence for one, licence for all? Well, to me, it should be. I don't understand this magical barrier where we can criminalise one person and allow it for, the, for another person. That, to me, makes no sense. The fact that I was diagnosed when I was 21 and it took me nine years to get recognised legally for cannabis, that meant I was a patient running the risk of a jail sentence for all those years even though I had a diagnosis. So I think my call on policymakers is definitely to support Gino Kenny's decriminalisation bill because that's definitely going to support patients in the long run. And I also believe that we need to widen the MCAP programme, include chronic pain, stop putting the onus on patients to jump through these thousand hoops and respect our right to bodily autonomy. If we choose to use cannabis and that's our decision, then let, let us be, you know, it, it's our, we're the ones that have to live in the shoes of chronic pain every day. We should be the ones to choose how we, we medicate. How come you've been the one to get the licence and Mary next door to you hasn't? Apparently I, I'm tenacious and I'm determined and I won't stop. I won't take no for an answer. I won't shy away from authority and I won't fear my own authenticity. Like I'm I, like, there's so many women out there terrified to even admit that they consume cannabis, whereas I was never bound by that fear. I don't know why what's in me, but I think maybe I'm just a rebel. I don't know. <laughs> um, are you in a good place now, pain-wise, uh, mental health-wise? Mental health-wise, I'm in the best place I could ever be in because I've been taken seriously. And, you know, it's really empowering to be to be validated, I suppose, in that way. But physically, I'm not doing very well. And I'm fundraising to go back to Romania. I'll be there in two weeks' time to have another surgery. So I'll be gone for Christmas. But sacrificing one Christmas for hopefully a future of much more manageable pain is going to be worth it. All right. Listen, Amy, thank you so much for taking the call. Uh, I know you're a Dublin woman living in Tipperary, but uh, I know that by talking this morning, I suppose you've helped a lot of ladies, uh, women with endometriosis. Um, And if they want to get in touch with you, is there a a helpline or a, a website or anything like that? There, I operate mainly from my Instagram in terms of advocacy. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The one-to-one support. So it's endo with Amy underscore blog. And Amy is A-I-M-E-E. Okay, give us that again, Amy. It's endo, E-N-D-O with W-I-T-H, Amy, A-I-M-E-E, and then underscore blog, B-L-O-G. All right. Amy, Thank you very much for taking Thanks the call. Thanks a million. We're staying on the topic of uh, cannabis and I've seen our next caller in and around Cork and on social media smoking um, the spliffs, uh, rolling joints of cannabis uh, outside. No, he brought some into Anglesey Street Garda Station, little cannabis plant, and he also rolled up and smoked cannabis outside the district court in Anglesey Street here in Cork. Martin, what's your beef? Like, what's the circus about? Well, my, my beef is that I'd kindly life left to be life, left to live my life and not be regarded as a criminal for a plant that I use that brings benefit to my life. Much like Amy, I've experienced the benefits of cannabis too, and I don't need the government to be telling me what's good for me and what's not good for me. I can quite well make that decision myself. And what's your condition that you need to smoke cannabis to improve your health? Currently, I suffer with epilepsy, and um, it it wasn't under control for a while, but we've managed to get it under control now, and I've been using cannabis uh, primarily to, to, to do that. Um, but I've been doing it on, in an unregulated way. Unlike Amy, I've been uh, unfortunate enough that I, I haven't gotten a ministerial license as there's a lot of stigma um, and dogma there within the, the health field. My, my consultant, um, I won't name any names, but their clinic has said they refuse outright to prescribe cannabis as they don't uh, believe in it as there's not enough studies there to be done with it. But again, we, we, <clears throat> we can get into the complexities as to why there isn't that many studies on it, and that's because of the prohibition of cannabis. The prohibition of cannabis has stifled studies over the last uh, number of decades, and this is why we're in a situation today where we're vastly in the dark about a medicine that was widely available about 100 years ago. Do you believe it's an addictive drug? Um, I I believe like most things can be addictive. I believe gambling can be addictive. Jeez, I, I think people can abuse cheeseburgers and ice cream. Um, but it, it, addictiveness, I believe, is uh, a lot of the time it's down to the individual. Uh, now, there is substance out there that do have real addictions um, and real, real withdrawals, um, but cannabis is not one of those. Uh, if you get addicted to cannabis, it's more likely it's a psychological addiction um, where that you, you're enjoying it, much like an addiction to soccer or going to the gym. It's something that you enjoy and you keep, keep going back to because it, it, you benefit from it. You enjoy it, you know? 
by taking a cannabis plant into Anglesey Street Garda Station here in Cork and um, then lighting a joint outside the courthouse in Anglesey Street again, what do you hope to achieve by that? I mean, can you not do something behind closed doors and make your efforts uh, known to the Minister that you would like to see it legalised? Do you really have to go out there and, uh, you know, do, do what you're doing the way you're doing it? I certainly do, and uh, the reason I do is because we, we've been doing it behind closed doors. We've been engaging quietly and uh, civilly with, with the politicians, the policymakers, for a long time. The, the founder of Mad Pride Ireland, John McCarthy, may you rest in peace, he, he was a medical cannabis patient, and, and I witnessed him speak and testify to the benefits of cannabis outside of the John Bishop Lucy Park uh, inside in the city. Um, and he said he passed away and does not being respected as a patient who's going to get legal access to it and instead he had to, to go to the black market and act like a criminal and, and hide. I don't believe in hiding. I, I don't see anything wrong with what I'm doing. I see much more wrong with the policies that prevent access to cannabis as a medicine. But yes, you just mentioned the word medicine. Should it only be prescribed as a medicine? I mean, if it's legalised, does that, does that mean that every Tom, Dick and Harry is going to be going around with um, a bag of weed in their, in their pocket? Well, if it's legalised, then consenting adults should be allowed to, to walk in and buy cannabis if they so see fit. When it comes to medical cannabis, <clears throat> there needs to be a clear dis- distinction there, differentiation. I was just going to say, you describe in a nutshell for me, what's the difference between a bag of cannabis that a fellow will smoke who doesn't have a, an underlying condition and a guy who has a bag of cannabis and who has an underlying condition? I mean, cannabis is cannabis, isn't it? Cannabis is cannabis, but medicine comes in all different forms. So you look at Ava Barry out there, whose mother fought a long and hard battle, a very tough battle, I have to say, um, to get her daughter access to cannabis. Now, Ava's not out there grinding up cannabis, putting it into a bong or rolling it up in a spliff, as you like to call it, and smoking it. Ava's taking it in an oil, a consistent oil that, that's therapeutically, um, or that's, that's derived under strict standards to, to ensure a high therapeutic quality for, for the patient. She gets a consistent dose, delivers sublingually via the mouth. She doesn't smoke anything. So cannabis comes in all different forms. So I think even the conversation I listened earlier, and um, there seems to be a lot of stigma coming even from yourself. And I don't mind that because um, you're coming at it from a prohibitionist mindset. You were asking Amy, is she addicted? So I thought that was very disrespectful to be asking a patient, are they addicted to their medicine? Um, and this by and large proceeds from the prohibition. Become, people do become hooked on prescription drugs. Oh, they, they certainly do. Um, so what's wrong with asking that question? Because you, you you wouldn't really ask it to a pain patient who was in front of you taking uh, pain medication. You, you really wouldn't, unless that person was in front of you displaying qualities that, that would suggest that they were. Now, there was nothing from that conversation with Amy that displayed any qualities of addiction. She was holding, uh, meeting all of the, the um, her, her, her social uh, outcomes. She was mm-hmm. uh, going, going to college, going to work, uh, keeping relationships with friends and family. There was nothing there to, uh, to suggest that she was addicted. She wasn't robbing. She, she, she wasn't uh, downbeating. You know, th- there was none of those things that come with uh, the, the, with addiction. the, the bad addiction. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me, as long as it's not available on prescription, where are you getting your stuff? Yeah, much like Amy was before, I've, I've the resort to, to getting it illegally. Um, I, I'm lucky enough that I know people who grow cannabis and they can get it. Um, but, but I have to say... Um, Amy um, mentioned, I was talking with Amy last night, and th- there was a man shot in Dublin yesterday, Cormac Berkeley, aged That's 34. Right. He was shot outside his home. 
Amy actually alluded to me that she met that man before and bought cannabis off him. Um, and she brought that cannabis back to him as it was very poor quality cannabis. And Amy was frightened last night when she was saying this. She was like, what if I went back there and that gunman was there to meet that fella and I got caught in the crossfire? And, and this is the reality that's put on patients because of cannabis prohibition. You, you go over to America and you walk into uh, any of the stores where cannabis is sold from a regulated retailer, you don't run that same risk that you run here in Ireland where you could be caught up in the crossfire of uh, drug feuds that are going on because of prohibition, not because of drugs. Like, really, these, these drug feuds should be called prohibition feuds. And you, you beat me to it because that's what I was going to mention to you uh, because every time you buy, um, we'll say, a bag of cannabis, or, um, you're helping to line the pockets of major drug dealers and people are being taken out, people are being executed morning, noon and night here in Ireland, those caught up in the drugs trade. You're helping to, to keep that... Um, drugs trade alive by set, by buying these drugs. So do yeah, you think I'm, if it was prescribed that we would have left less uh, gang warfare? I definitely. I think if it was legalised, uh, we we would see lot less lot less gang warfare. If, if we were to only allow medical cannabis access and not legalise it, then I think that the black market would persist, and I think that the medical cannabis. Um, Avenue, I think that would, that would be abused by people who just want to get access to legal cannabis. I think if we just legalise it, the patients who really need it as medical reasons will get access through the medical route, and those who want it for therapeutic reasons, maybe they just want to sleep easier at night or just want something to enjoy to unwind after a tough day at work. Okay, they, so they'll if go they, they legalise cannabis, are we then going to look at them talking about, oh well, you know, I'm on the cannabis now for the last two years, um, it's not doing as you know, it's not as good as it once was. Is there any possibility you could uh, legalise ecstasy or cocaine? Are we going to go down that road? Well, there, there's not an in cannabis that makes you want ecstasy or cocaine. Again, this is part of the stigma that, oh, well, you use one drug, you must use all drugs. That 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 couldn't be any further from the truth. If, if you want to use ecstasy, it's because you're probably going to a rave or a music festival of some sort. If you want to use cocaine, it's probably because you're drinking alcohol, not smoking cannabis. <laughs> do, you have to, do, you, do you think so if you're going to a music festival? Uh, do you have to take an ecstasy tablet to enjoy the festival? No, not, a, not at all. Not at all. But there's some people out there who will enjoy it a lot more if they do. Um, and there's plenty of people who will enjoy it sober of mind and they might even have a drink during the festival too. Um, but to each their own. I, again, I, I don't think we need the government to be dictating what we should and shouldn't be doing. Again, alcohol is legal and not everybody drinks. How far are we away from having it legalised in this country, do you think, if ever? Uh, I think we're a lot closer than we ever have been before. I really look forward to the Citizens' Assembly, which is coming up early next year, as I believe that will really pave the way for progressive change here in Ireland. And I, I believe it will be a change that will help a lot, a lot of vulnerable people who we, we are just just uh, shedding away, thrown away into the darkness at the moment. Like the supervised injection centre fiasco that's gone on up in Dublin. Oh, my God, that breaks my heart, how we treat these people, these vulnerable, vulnerable people out there. Why? What's wrong with the injection centre? We see some people here campaigning for it. There, there was a, it was supposed to go ahead in 2017. Yeah. It was approved. Five years later, we're, we're nowhere closer to it because of objections being put in at, at the planning stage. And um, One of the latest objectors was uh, a school that was nearby. I believe it was a private school. Um, but the, the problem is these objections, all they do is they keep the problem on the street. They're, they're saying, oh, we don't want in our, uh, the, the, the not in my backyard, yeah. the, the nimbyism. Um, but the thing is, it's already there. It's just there in, in, a, in, a, in a more 
dangerous form. It's on the street. Uh, needles are being discarded everywhere. I was only walking down North Main Street the other day again, and, I, and I've seen a discarded needle. Um, we, we really need to, to grab the bull by the horns here now and, and make change because the, this um, kicking the can down the road, all, all it's doing is costing us lives and vulnerable lives at that. Martin, finally, before we leave you go, um, how many convictions have you wrapped up, are knocked, uh, racked up for possession <laughs> of cannabis? And when are you back in court... Yeah, well, I, I had nine donations to the court charity box, if you call it that, before I ever received a conviction for my personal possession of cannabis. I, I know today, I believe, of uh, five convictions for personal possession, and I'm back in court uh, for an appeal of a two-month sentence on the 13th, and that was for a CBD joint I handed into the, uh, the guard station in Dungarvan as part of a protest in support of the business down there who sell these products to the, uh, to the local um area and who have many customers that are actually kids with uh, conditions such as ADHD whose parents come in and purchase some of the CBD oil there um, and benefit greatly from it. Martin, thanks for taking the call. Uh, Food for thought, some will say you're on the right road, others will say you know, you're talking through your backside, whatever. But um, look, it's been very, very interesting to talk to you because, as I said, I, I've seen you on social media, uh, your your efforts to get into Anglesey Street with uh, plants and smoking yeah. on, on the street. But look, each to their own. And thank you. Thanks very much, Paul. Good luck. Good luck. Courts 96 FM.